Something that we, we talked about years ago when we first got started about three, four years ago, we made this decision. It may seem like a small one, but I, I've been, I've been, it was a little bit of a risk too and a gamble, but I've been happy that we did and, and I've never really regretted it. But uh, a lot of times when you go into like a building project, what you'll see, and it costs a lot of money, um, you'll see a picture out there in a frame today. That's the one picture of kind of the outside of the building. We felt like we needed to build a show people and have some idea of what we're doing. But we made a decision early on that we didn't want to take and, and have a design company design all these pictures of the inside of the building and all these different rooms and so we could see what they each would look like and what the chairs would look like and those kind of things because we just really did not want that to be the focus. I mean, we, we hired a design company and they picked the colors and they picked the color of the chairs and so when we move in, if you don't like the colors, None of us did it. I mean, you can call them. We'll give you an address up in Harrisburg, and you can ask, tell them you didn't like the colors they chose. But we just, we just stayed out of all that because at the very beginning, um, we, we really didn't want it to be about a structure. We didn't want people to get just excited about what a room will look like or what the colors would be or the chairs or, 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 or even that we would then evolve ourselves into starting to believe and putting trust and faith in a new facility and how great it's going to be, and somehow that would solve our problems. It's so easy to migrate that direction. And I had a pastor friend that said, man, we've done several building projects. We've never shown a picture of anything. We don't, want, we don't want people to give or support or get behind a building. We want them to be behind what God is doing and why it is that we need to build a building. And so for us, I felt the same way. And, and you guys have really responded. And that's why we don't have lots of pictures and models and on all these little things so that we can all decide that we, we really didn't like the color of the carpet in the hallways. Because uh, that's just not what's important. What's important is what God is doing in and through people's lives in Foursquare, and, and, and we want you to be excited about that and to invest in that and not just in some facility that happens to be on Middle Street. We just simply believe, um, like, like I know you do, like a lot of churches do, that Jesus is the hope of the world, and he is the hope for Gettysburg, he's hope for Adams County, he's hope for the United States, he's hope for the world. It's that when people find him and, and, and bring them into their lives, he brings such transformation and such change and such hope that things begin to, to happen and differences are made. And so for us, we, we just want an opportunity to, to be able to share uh, more Jesus with more people. And uh, so this church is, didn't get started just a handful of years ago. It's been around for over 85 years. And in that time, it sent out missionaries, it's planted churches. We did one a few years ago in York Springs. And now Dan, and, and as he gathers his team, will be doing one this fall. And we're just excited because they're going to reach people and do things in their communities that we would never be able to do here. And, and it just continues to spread what this, this idea, this mission and vision that God has given us um, beyond, beyond just what a building would be. So we don't want to get all caught up and tied into that. Uh, facilities just allow us, it's just a tool that allows us to do more things um, for the Lord and, and, and really for us and our mission and our vision uh, to send more people out. And so we're going to have a meeting tomorrow night where if you've not ever heard anything more about just what the mission and vision is behind our church and what Extend is all about and what we hope to do in the future um, through all of this and what we, we believe God's going to do in Gettysburg and out of Gettysburg, uh, tomorrow night at New Oxford um, at our, our second location there, um, we're going to have a meeting at 6.30. I don't think it's supposed to snow. Isn't that a novel idea? Uh, maybe we'll, we'll head into the spring here. Um, so that's tomorrow night. Just love to share with you more about why it is that we do what we do and, and, and what we believe behind this. And I think it would be, would be really encouraging for you if you've never heard those things. I touched on them a little bit on Sunday mornings. I'll go over a little bit with the building, but more than that is why we're doing all this and what God is doing in and through our church. So come and join us tomorrow. Um, but we're going to do something special this morning um, as 
as um, just a, a time of prayer together. Like I said, if you're visiting with us, this is not something we normally do, but um, we, we, this is our, our best gathering of the week, obviously, on Sunday mornings. Everyone's here together, and so I wanted to take a, an opportunity to pray together. But before I do, I want to read a scripture that will kind of guide us um, in our prayer time, and it comes from 2 Samuel 24. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read you a couple verses but I, I want you to kind of hear my heart of, of why or kind of what we're doing with this prayer time. And the history kind of of this, this section of Scripture was that the, the nation of Israel was experiencing a plague. I mean, they were really, um, uh, there, was a, there was a plague that was coming through. And just like it would be nowadays, there's a lot of fear and a lot of worry. And what do they, what do they need to do in order to, to stop this plague? And David knew the king as would be kind of his responsibility, his authority over the whole nation. He knew that, that if he was at this certain location, God kind of gave him a vision of this angel, if he was at this location and offered uh, a sacrifice that God would come and he would heal the nation, he would heal them from this plague. And so David goes up to this person's property uh, and just shows up. Can you imagine uh, president of the United States or some king just shows up your property? Hey, I want to buy your, your place. I need, I need to do something here. I mean, of course, Donald Trump, you're like, that guy's a realtor. I'm going to triple the price. Uh, but anyway, so verse, verse 21, this guy named Arana um, says to David, why, are, why is my lord the king come to my servant to, to buy your threshing floor, says David? So I built an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Then Arna said to David, let the Lord my king take whatever he pleases and offer it. Here, take my oxen and the burnt offering. Um, here are the threshing, threshing, threshing sledges and ox uh, yokes for the wood. So this guy's got a great heart. He's like, man, you don't need to buy my property or take anything. I give it to you. Man, make your sacrifices. I want you to be able to do that. Um, o king, Arna gives all of this to the king. Arna then said to him, may my Lord, your God, accept you. In verse 24, though, the king then replies to this gentleman, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of uh, silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord. There he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and the Lord answered prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel had stopped. And so David kind of acts as this intercessor saying, man, Lord, um, stop, and he prays, and, 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 and the Lord heals, heals them and their nation, their city from this plague. And, and this, is, this is what my heart is for us as we go into prayer, is that I love, I love both of their hearts. This gentleman is like, David, take whatever you want, and David say, no, I am not going to sacrifice something to God that costs me nothing. And, um, you know, there's, there's, sometimes you'll hear this. I know it's not all TV Christianity or radio Christianity, but I, I heard it a lot growing up that, you know, if you were to sow into this ministry, you see it on TV, right? Send a hundred bucks in and chances are you're going to get a thousand back. <laughs> um, and it makes it real easy to raise money that way because people need more money. Um, but I'll just be really honest with you. Maybe this is not the way to do it, but I promise you that that may not happen, <laughs> uh, that you may not get any more back um, than what you give. In fact, I think a greater promise would be that, quite honestly, for you and for me, I hope that this whole process costs you a lot because I think it's a worthy investment. The one thing I can promise you is you won't get buyer's remorse. You will not get buyer's remorse investing not only in what God is doing through Extend, but, but through our church or any church of what God is doing. You, you don't get buyer's remorse for those things because in, in a year from now or six months or five years, when people come and they say, man, I met Jesus and my family's changed, we were gonna get a divorce and we didn't or my kids got off drugs or different things happened in my life. We got all these ministries that meet in our, in our building. When people talk about what it's meant to them, 
to be able to say, I was part of that, what a, what a blessing. What, what, what a, that, that is true riches. And sometimes I don't think that God really wants to give someone $1,000 for 100 because ultimately money causes more problems in some people's lives. And that's just foolish to think that God just always wants to give us more. I don't think so. But even greater than that, I don't want to be involved in things in my life in any way that don't cost me anything. And so I want us to pray together that, that in a way, if I can say that with a smile, that this costs us a lot, that we invest ourselves deeply into it because I think it's one of the greatest things, not, 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 not this the building, this is what we're saying, this is why we don't have pictures. It's the investment in what, if God has put it on your heart, what you believe God is doing in and through the people of this church and that you believe that for years and years to come, there's gonna be greater and greater return of people's life. So what I want you to do is in the bulletin, you got a, a commitment card today and I want you to trust me because this is what I said a moment ago, this is not a televangelist moment. Um, um, I don't want you to fill this out, all right? Especially if you're visiting, this, the, oh my gosh, we would never do that. I don't want you to fill it out, but I want you to take it in your hands and I want us to pray. I want us to pray as a church um, over this next seven months that God would provide what is needed to complete this project and, and get, it, get it done and get it behind us and move on to the things that God has for us, but, but that we would all participate in one way or another as God leads us and calls us, but, but that you and you alone, you and the Holy Spirit decide what, what it's supposed to cost you. And, and I, I, I say that as your pastor because I, I, I believe it for myself and Jerry and our family too, that God, man, I really believe in what you're doing and, and I don't want to get it for free. I want to be invested in this so that when people's lives are changed, I know I, know I was part of that. So I don't want you to fill this out. We're, we're going to collect these for the next month. Uh, you go home and you pray about it. You spend time with the Lord. Um, I don't want you to, to feel pressured by me. I just want you to have a conversation with God like David and say, Lord, if I invested in this like David and you, you, you stop plagues, you, you heal people, you do things in people's lives, what is that worth it to me? What are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to sacrifice to be a part of that? If you're able this morning too, I'd like you to do something with me because to me, I think this is all dependence on God. Would you, would you just get on your knees there in your chair? If you can't get on your knees, just stay seated. But if you can, would you just kind of flip around where you are and, and get on your knees? And, and I want you to pray with me. Um, I want you not only to pray for yourself, I want you to pray for the person on your left and right. I want you to, listen, I want you to pray for the empty seats that are next to you if there's empty seats. I want you to pray for those that have yet to come. I want you to pray for the, 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 the extend that God would do, the extension of his ministry and life through our church. We've been here 85 years and I pray for 85 more. And so I just want you to pray with me for all these things. And we're gonna start off by just taking 30 seconds or so quietly before the Lord ourselves. And would you just pray? pray, pray for all these things, pray for yourself, pray that God would speak to you about your participation in this and then I'll close in prayer. God, we're, we're glad that we can be part of something greater than ourselves. And Lord, I, I want to be like David. I, and I, 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 this verse was on my heart because I, I don't believe I'm the only one. Lord, I want to be invested in things that are so much greater than myself. And, and Lord, I, I'm, I'm happy. I don't, I don't want things to be free. Things that are free aren't valuable. Lord, we have a tendency to forget them or lose track of them. But Lord, things that are valuable, we hold on to. And Lord, just uh, investing in, in what you're doing, Lord, in and through the lives of people in this church, Lord, is such a worthy investment, Lord, and I, I want it to cost me something. I want it to cost us something, Lord. I, I want us to be excited for what you're doing and for the lives that you're changing. And so, Lord, speak to us, myself, all of us, Lord, what it is you're calling us to do, what you're calling us to be involved in and how to invest ourselves, Lord, not only in what will happen later this year, but what will happen in the years and years and years to come. I thank you for those that sacrificed 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, Lord, so that we could experience today great things happening in our church. And Lord, we're part of this generation now that gets to do that 
for the people in the years to come. Thank you, God. Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to each person. Lord God, provide, Lord, do us exceedingly abundantly more than what we could ever do, what we could ever ask, or what we could ever think. And uh, Lord, we just trust you. We lay this before you, and I trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Go back to your, your seat there. And like I said a moment ago, we just want you to take this uh, commitment card home with you and to think about it and pray about it. And um, we want to receive these over the next month. And, um, and, um, and then we'll start giving towards it in May. But we just want you to, uh, especially those of you who are new, to, to be able to think and take part in this and be invested in, in what God is doing. So thank you for the consideration of that and for praying with us. And we're excited for all that God is going to do. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, we've been there for a couple weeks and um, we're going to do one more Sunday here at Jeremiah 29. And the, the title of this series has been this, this whole initiative in and of itself too, Extend. Um, but we've been looking at this idea that our city may prosper, that God has called us to prosper our city. Um, that it is our responsibility, it's part of our, our, um, our life and our calling that God has called us to make sure that Gettysburg or whatever community, whatever neighborhood, wherever we live is prospering. That's, that's what God has called us to do. So um, Jeremiah 29, let me read this to you again. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The very, very quick context of this, if you've missed two weeks, um, is that God has taken the people of Israel out of their nation, out of their capital city, Jerusalem, and now they're exiled in this totally foreign country, uh, the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, to a group and to a place that they disagree with everything, their religion, their views, their culture, their ethics, their politics, everything. They feel totally exiled. And um, what we normally do when we get in a place where we don't feel comfortable, we have a tendency to shrink back. But God said, no, don't do that. And the first thing he talked about is being fruitful, because God says in verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Go against your natural inclination to kind of hide out, bunker down, uh, find your own, little, your own little spot with everybody you feel comfortable with and you know and get out of that and just continue to multiply, continue to be fruitful and continue to increase. And that's what we talked about the first week. Last week, we talked about verse 7 here uh, in, in main, main topic. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. And we talked about this word peace is this Hebrew word for shalom, which is, means way more than just peace. It means peace. It means prosperity. It means bringing wholeness to any situation, to help replace what's missing so that it's whole. Uh, just like a lot of our families nowadays are, are, are fragments, they're dissected, they're broken through divorce and through situations, and we all know the pain um, that those things bring, and if only they could be made whole again, and God does do that and redeems things, but we know the pain of, of that of that dysfunction and, and being separated and losing things. And this idea of bringing peace and prosperity is bring wholeness to what's been splintered, to what's been lost, to what's been taken, uh, literally to the city of Babylon, which would not have tasted well to the Jewish people because they disagreed with everything and probably would have wished for their demise, not for their blessing. And God says, no, I want you to seek their peace and the prosperity. And then lastly, pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, 
you too will prosper. And this kind of goes against what is common thinking sometimes that, uh, and sometimes what we even hear, you know, God wants to bless you and he wants to prosper you. And, and, and I think God does want to meet our needs and take care of us. And God's certainly a God that loves to bless people. But I think ultimately what God wants us to do is to bless and bring prosperity and peace to our cities, to our communities, to our neighborhoods. And in turn, we will experience that as they are and we get to share in that. And that's, that's much more rewarding than just I don't know, somehow being prosperous ourselves or individually. And so this is this call that God has, has uh, put on, I think, each of our lives if we follow Jesus. Man, this is our mandate. I want you to look into the lives and the places around you and, and see how you can bring, bring peace, bring wholeness to those situations. I, I'm sure you haven't um, been lost, even if you're not uh, too, too into them, but this whole revival of uh, movies and, and TV shows that have all come out of the comic book series that were uh, happening years ago, and I'm kind of, at my age, I was kind of in between like the really, really popular time of comics and then when they began to resurge. And so, of course, I've heard of things uh, and heard of uh, shows, and I watched some of them when I was growing up, certainly Superman and Batman, but a lot of these new, these new characters have come out of out of some of these old comic book stories that I don't know anything about. I go watch these things with, with people and I love them. I enjoy all of them. I mean, everything from, from um, X-Men to all the Marvel characters and different things. But I sit and watch these previews and it's like Ant-Man. And I'm like, Ant-Man, what in the world is that? And they're like, oh no, he was one of them. And I was like, really, what? Ant-Man? And I mean, they see Batman, I was watching one time, it's like Superman and Batman are fighting. I look over the guys next to me who are all into all these comics. I'm like, what in the world is going on? I thought the world was bad enough. Now Batman and Superman are fighting. They're like, oh yeah, that was one of the series. I'm like, like, really? I, I just didn't, I didn't follow all that, but I, I, I have heard of, and you probably know, I think it's DC Comics, right? The Justice League, which is like this conglomeration um, of all these superheroes and all the ones that we know, Superman, Superwoman, and Batman, and the Green Lantern, and you, you probably all know more than I do. Um, but there's something that, that piques a lot of people's imagination. I, I think it's young and old and, and men and women, but certainly, certainly I think young, young boys and, and now you know, older men who, get, who live vicariously through these characters and want to be Superman. Uh, but we, we, there's something that piques our imagination about heroes that have superpowers that can do something and make a difference in a culture and in a world. And that's why they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars by people coming to watch these. It's not just that it's entertainment. There's something that grabs us and, and we, we share in it. We share in some of the dreams. We share in some of the imagination. Oh, to be able to, to fly, to have those powers, to do those things. We love watching something that would be the triumph of, of good over evil. And so I love this idea of the, the Justice League. It's these people that have these incredible powers and incredible abilities that are, that is their job to bring justice to the world, which is kind of what that whole idea I ended up watching, the Batman versus Superman. I wasn't a big fan. Um, but anyway, it was just questioning how do we know that Superman's always going to use his power for good? That was the big question. And Batman, of course, was questioning that because of his own artillery motives. And it just spirals from there. But how do you know that Superman's really going to do things good? How can you trust that he's always going to do what is just? I guess that's a good question in comic book land. Um, but, but this idea that they are the protectors of justice. You know, it's really interesting. These ideas don't just come, I don't think, from comic book series or, or authors or imaginations. They, they come deeper than that. They come from just the human psyche, and they've been around forever. You think about the, the mythological gods of the Greek world 
thousands of years ago, and certainly a lot of these, these ideas and stories from the comic books have come from those things. But even in that, the Bible talks about similar ideas and similar themes. And my title this morning is, is um, that we are extending, that our city may prosper, and we are the doers of justice. In a way, we are kind of like Justice League. So I'm giving you an opportunity to be your own, I don't know, Batman or Superman, keep your underwear on the inside of your pants. Uh, but anyway, we're going to look at this, Proverbs 11.10, Proverbs 11.10, very short proverb, and it says this, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now, it's really interesting because at first when you read this, maybe your first thought is, is this, is this different? Is this going in opposition, the opposite of what Jeremiah was saying? pray for the prosperity of the city, and when it does, you will prosper. And I don't think this is actually going against that. I think it's just kind of a further clarification. When it says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. This word for righteous um, is this word sadiq, and it's this Hebrew word, which means the doers of justice. When, when, you're, when you're a righteous person, you're a sadiq, you are a, a doer of justice. The word righteousness is to do right, to judge correctly. Um, but when it's referring it to a person, when the righteous prosper, when those that do justice are doing justice, the city rejoices. And that this is what really God has called us as we've been talking about stewardship for this year of 2017. One of the things that God has asked us to steward as people who follow him, do you know this, is justice. That's something we're supposed to steward. And I love the fact that, that, that justice is a big deal in our world today, and I'm going to get more into that, but, but this is a personal calling of every single one of us, not just for a certain age group or a certain group of people, that God has asked us to steward justice. And when we do, when we work to see that our communities and our neighborhoods, and I'll mention in a minute, even our families, justice is not just a global issue, but this is something that we all, that we all can affect in, in the different parts of our lives. When we work to see justice done, the city or the people around that experience that rejoice. And that word rejoice is actually a rejoicing that comes when someone has been suffering oppression and it's been lifted off of them. So you think of it in this sense. You probably know my wife and I adopted a little girl. We, we, we had no plans for that when we first got married, but God put that in our hearts. I want you to, to adopt. It was just there. We knew we would do it. Um, and it just became evident. God led us that entire way. And not everyone is supposed to adopt. I'll give you cool little political idea for that later, but not everyone's supposed to adopt, but in the ability, or in the ability that we had, that God had called us to do, when we, when we made sure, we found a little girl who, who, was, who needed justice, who needed to be protected. When we followed through and did the justice that God called us to, that released her of oppression in her life and abandonment and injury and all these things and released her of that so that she could rejoice. She experienced what she's supposed to experience, love and protection and, and hope and acceptance. Are you with me? But that's just one little example that God is calling us to do this in all of our lives, that when we step in and we help someone in need, when we take care of things, they get to experience and they will rejoice because whatever that burden would be, whatever that pressure would be, would lift it. That's exactly what Proverbs 11 is saying. And sometimes it calls us, I mentioned this last week, that we have to put ourselves at a disadvantage, this idea that, you know, in our world today, like, that we can kind of uh, attain this, this utopian society in a way, that if we all just love and accept each other, we'll find this peace and harmony, we'll all get along, and we just all have to accept each other. Listen, all accepting each other is not going to bring peace. I'm just telling you because of the fragmentation and the brokenness of our world, and tell some people to say, I choose to be at a disadvantage so that you can be at an advantage, 
there will not be peace and harmony. This idea that we all can just get what we want is baloney. It's baloney. It doesn't work that way. And God has called us to be the people who would make decisions to put ourselves at a disadvantage because we trust that God will meet our needs. Yeah, I can give to you. Yeah, I can take care of this. Yeah, I, I, it's okay. You insulted me, but I'll still forgive you because my honor, my reputation, as I read earlier on Psalm 62, is not, is not based upon you or the fact that you borrowed something from me and broke it and never returned it. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I, I'll put myself at a disadvantage and buy myself another one just so that, that you, our relationship can be okay. It is never going to happen if everybody just gets what they want. But it's when some people choose to be at a disadvantage that, 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 that people begin to experience that and they rejoice. That's why Isaiah 117 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. God really wants us to take up the cause of those who need justice. And that's our, that's our responsibility, it's our job, it's not somebody else's. So I wanna to read to you just a very simple passage today and just look at this very simple thing because I knew we wouldn't have as much time. And this is such a great passage, but it's so simple what God has asked us to do. Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? This person's saying like, what does God require? What do I need to do? What, what is it going to mean for me to follow Jesus? Like, what, what does God want? Sacrifices? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Olive oil is part of sacrificial system. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression as many cultures in those days did? No, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Do I need to give him myself? Do I need to just, just you know, abandon everything for him? No, it's more sort of simple than that. Verse eight, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Well, how does God want us to steward our lives? Very simply, three things, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is, God wants us to steward our lives in this way. So as doers of justice, God has given us three simple things. We don't have superpowers, but we can do three things that are very powerful for any community and any place in our world. The first is this, to act justly, to act justly. We understand fighting for justice, as I said a moment ago, especially young people nowadays, and I'm so grateful for it. You know, there's so many people graduate from Gettysburg College or different colleges, and what do you want to do? I, I'm going to move to Southeast Asia and stop sex trafficking. And I think that's awesome and needs to happen. It's terrible. There's people, I'm moving to Africa, and I'm going to create um, education and education reform. I'm going to bring water, clean water to people that are in Africa. I'm, go, I'm going to provide, I was talking to somebody the other day, I'm helping create structures of free trade across third world countries. All these things are amazing. They're, 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 they're areas of justice that need to happen in our world. But I want you to know something first and foremost today, that justice is not to start just out there as some globalized problem. What God has called us to do as people who follow Jesus is, you know how it's really popular right now to buy local. <laughs> he wants you to do justice locally. I read a Christmas letter a couple weeks ago from someone who said, you know, everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. So true. Where does justice begin? Justice begins in your marriage. Justice begins in your home. Justice begins with your neighbors. Justice begins tomorrow on your way to work. When God begins to challenge you about taking your time, your money, your resources, your intelligence, your giftings, and use it for somebody who has a need to act justly yourself. It's not just to believe in or, or contribute or even go and give your life to some global justice issue. God just wants you to be a person of justice wherever you are. 
I mean, it's, it's funny, this is kind of a silly illustration, but you know, sometimes you, you, Jerry and I are just so tired, by the time you get all the kids to bed, you finally sit down on the couch, gonna watch a movie or a show together, maybe just talk together, and it's like the moment you do that, you like sit down, and then you hear one of the kids, Dad, Mom, I need a glass of water, right? And it's like, not it. Yeah, that was you, Jerry. I think you did it last time. I remember last night. You, I did it. Now it's your turn, right? And it's just something that just wells up inside of you that it's just, it's somebody else's responsibility. Like, I got news for you. When God says, I want you to act justly, I mean, that, that person you see, that person that has need, that, that person at work or your neighbor is going through something that could use help babysitting the kids or going through a divorce and could use someone to talk to or person that needs the shoveling when the snow happens or their lawn needs to be mowed. I mean, God's not waiting around for someone to say, not it. He's waiting around for someone to say, I'll do it. I'll do it, God. That in each and every day that we're acting justly, that we are, we are trying to help bring, bring shalom, bring peace and bring wholeness to people's lives. He wants us to act justly and he wants us to start locally. <laughs> Justice is a foretaste of God's kingdom. That's why God is so big on this. This is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, in God's kingdom in heaven someday, but when heaven comes down to earth, what will be restored was the way that God made this whole life to begin with in the beginning, that there would not be the haves and the have-nots, but there would be those that are all taken care of, that are loved, that are not abandoned, that are not isolated, that are not broken, that are not fragmented. And so when God calls us to act justly in this world, he's telling us to bring heaven into a situation, bring heaven into a place where, where someone is experiencing hell. Because when you're going through hell, they, they wonder if God exists. They wonder if God loves them. They wonder where God is. And so it's our opportunity to bring heaven into these situations, to show people that, yeah, there is a God who exists, who loves them, who has a place that's prepared for them someday where they will only experience what is right and what is just. Pray to the Lord for it, Jeremiah said, because if it prospers, you will prosper. That word pray means to intervene, to ask God on behalf of, but it's more than that. It's to take personal responsibility and intervene to do justly. I mean, some of us here today, I mean, this message doesn't need to go any further Then we just need to act justly towards our immediate family, towards our spouses, maybe towards our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. I mean, that's where we need to begin. Before we think about saving the world, we need to think about how we can act justly in our, in, in our immediate relationships, and that'll make a difference. And when we do, believe me, I promise you, the Bible says it, and I believe, believe me, it will happen. When you release that oppression that, that people are having near you and around you, and maybe because of you, you will experience the prosperity, the shalom, the peace that comes from that. Number two, we are to love mercy. I'll be honest with you, I think this is the hardest one though. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but it's to love mercy. I love the underdog. I love to see someone get something um, that they weren't gonna get or, or, they, or you, know, you didn't think they would get, but it's really hard for me to love mercy for somebody that I think is wrong or they've done wrong or I disagree with everything that they stand for and then someone says, yeah, but I wanna cut, cut them some slack. I wanna show them some patience. No, they don't deserve it. I mean, I think loving mercy is a very difficult one. To love mercy, that word mercy literally means kindness or benevolence, but it's more than that. It's a zeal for loving kindness. It's a zeal for compassion. And really my question is, are we rejoicing when people are shown mercy and not the people that we love to show mercy to. I mean, do we rejoice when our enemies are shown mercy? Our world today doesn't need more people expressing their differences, opinions. What we need is people who will love mercy, who will, 
who will love, who, will, who love to see people shown mercy and shown grace and shown compassion. You know, there's a passage in the Bible where a, a woman comes and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil and starts to wash his feet with her hair. And these, these, these top religious people are like, oh my gosh, if Jesus only knew who was touching him, oh my goodness, I mean, he would, ne- he would not have anything about it. And of course Jesus knew who was touching him. And he tells the man, I think his name was Simon, he says, Simon, let me, let me just tell you, someone, he gives this really quick parable. If someone's forgiven $10 and someone's forgiven 1000 whatever it was, who, who's, gonna, who's gonna be more appreciative? And he says, oh, the person that had $1,000. He says, exactly. And then Jesus says these very important, very powerful words. He says, whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Whoever's been forgiven little loves little. You know the problem is when we don't think someone should show mercy is actually what we're doing is we think they have less to be forgiven for than me. I mean, I mean, Jesus had to bleed a little bit for me, but for them, my gosh, he had to bleed everywhere because they are messed up. What they think, what they believe, what they do is messed up. And when we don't want them to experience mercy, we want them to experience forgiveness. We literally have flipped it and we think, you know, I don't have much to be forgiven for and, and they don't deserve mercy until they, they get their act together, until they understand. The problem with that, Jesus says, you know what's really happened is that you have started to love little. And the bigger problem is Jesus isn't talking about loving them. What was he talking about in this whole parable? He says, Simon, you don't love me very much because you don't think you have to be forgiven as much as she does. And the problem is, yeah, maybe her sins are more obvious than yours, but she loves me more than you because she knows how much I've forgiven him, her, have forgiven her. And when we don't choose to love mercy, when we see people be shown grace and shown patience, we literally put ourselves in the first steps towards hypocrisy, towards being a Pharisee, that, you know, I have a little bit to forgive, but they have a lot. And the moment that happens, it's not just that we don't like people, it's the fact that our love for the Lord begins to get shallower because we've forgotten the depth of the forgiveness that we need for our own life. That's why in Acts 1.8, after Jesus um, is dead and he rises from the dead and he's getting ready to leave and he sends his disciples out, he says this, he says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's really interesting a lot of times I think is Christianity. We think Jesus right there said, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna make you a prosecutor of the world. He didn't say prosecutor, did he? What did he say? I'm gonna make you a witness. A witness of what? How much you know? How much you have it together? How much Jesus found you and you were just so good and righteous and now you can help other people who are all messed up find Jesus? Or are you supposed to be a witness of, man, I was lost and then I was found, I was blind, but now I see I was a sinner and now God has shown me his grace and mercy. See, we're prosecutors when we don't think we've already been prosecuted. But we're witnesses when we realize we've been pardoned and somebody else can be pardoned too, right? To love mercy is to know that there are other people just like you who've been pardoned by Jesus and you want them to know, boy, there's a pardon for them as well. We're set as witnesses, not prosecutors, to love mercy, to love it when people are shown mercy and shown grace that they may come to know Jesus and his forgiveness like me and like you. Lastly, we are to walk humbly. Walk humbly. You know, the, what Jesus showed us, maybe more than anything, I mean, he showed us love and he showed us justice, but boy, he showed humility. And it's unbelievable that Jesus let people do to him what they did to him when he could have, he could have done anything he wanted and made anybody do anything he wanted them to, but he walked humbly because he understood that his power that came from the Father 
that he was to exercise was to be power under people, not power over people. And we oftentimes get this under, misunderstood. We think of political power, which is always, always power over instead of power under. And so we, we act that way too. And we think we'll change, we'll change our nation, we'll change our world, we'll change our city by having power over people instead of having power under. And it doesn't work that way. People are not coerced into following Jesus. They are, they are loved into it. They're shown compassion into it. What did Jesus say in John 13? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But, but I, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I've done to you. Very truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus wisely knew that if he didn't reiterate the fact that he came to wash our feet, and this is what he was doing, washing our feet, that we would all take his banner and we would go and try to conquer the world in the exact opposite way that Jesus did. And we've done that many times. We have done that many times. Jesus said, no, 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 no. If I have come to change the world and I've done that as a servant, humbly washing your feet, well, then this is the way you're to do it too. Let, let me kind of close with this. I heard a great example the other day. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, it, it's becoming really popular on all sides of the spectrum is if you're not happy with something, you, you march, you protest. Uh, like, like in the sense that if we tell everybody what we are against or what we know, Christians and non-Christians, that that's the way to communicate. And, and, and uh, sadly, I think Christians have been doing this for a long time. And one, one of those issues, you know, I talk about every once in a while would, would be abortion. Hey, I believe in the sanctity of life. I have to. I mean, Jesus has created every single person and he's given them value and given them dignity. And I, I don't believe anybody should take a life. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that in, in any way to take something away from any woman anywhere. I just, I think God values every life. But here's the deal. We like to march and say that we are against abortion. But I, I read an author this week, and I thought this was so good. He says, you know, if we really wanted to change the world on our views of the sanctity of human life, then, and he picked a state, I think it was Ohio. He said, you know what would be really, would make a statement, not another march against something. But if every Christian in the state of Ohio banded together and said, we will adopt every unwanted baby in this state, we would show the people of Ohio what we believe in, not just what we're against. It's the difference between leading with compassion and leading with coercion. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't believe in that. You should change this versus saying, this is the way. Now walk in it. This is what God believes. This is what we're supposed to do. Not everybody's supposed to adopt a kid. I know that. But that would make a much bigger difference in the life of people that live in Ohio, whatever state would be, than just simply they know more about what Christians are against. That if every Christian marched on the Capitol and said, give us your babies, we want them all. We don't want anybody going home unwanted. What do you think? Do you think it'd make a better difference? No? Do you think that'd make a better difference? I think walking humbly and loving mercy and doing acts of justice is what would change our world. It's what Jesus did. It's what he did. I think it would make a big difference. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Uh, two things as we close. I, I just felt in my heart for some of you that it's a, it's a day, it's a time, it's a service for you to seek forgiveness of the Lord. I'm talking to those of you who know him and claim to be a Christian. And just quite honestly, won't mince words, there's just whole groups of people and types of people and people you live with, people you work with, who just frankly, you don't love, you would not love to see mercy shown to them. And I'm not saying today the Bible says that, that goes actually the exact opposite of everything that it means to follow Jesus. Because if Jesus had that attitude towards you, you wouldn't be here today. 
Thank God he didn't. And let's ask God now that he forgives us of having a heart that is so opposite of his. I'm gonna pray with you and you pray with me. Lord, help us. Who our, our love has grown cold. We, we don't love mercy. Lord, we, we've, we'd love to show mercy and grace and justice, Lord, to those that we think deserve it. But Lord, to those that don't, Lord, we, we, don't, we don't love to see mercy there. God, help us to love mercy. Love mercy that someone could, could experience a foretaste of what, of what the world was supposed to be. Lord, and if they do, boy, if they do, Jesus, they may just open their eyes and their ears and their heart to you. Lord, forgive us where our hearts have grown cold and where they've grown hard. Forgive us today. Lord, make us more like you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, see the people you love and hear the people you love and respond to them, I pray in Jesus' name. One more, one more prayer before we go. Maybe you're here today. And, uh, and you, you think, just even in a sermon like this, that what God is saying is, you know, you need to do all these right things, and maybe you feel like you are. Maybe you feel like you have. But see, God's not talking about how you earn salvation because nobody can do enough just acts to do it right before God. That's why God tells us in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely, amazingly, freely, but justified not by us, but by the grace that comes through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we live in a world that's full of injustice because of you and me, not because of somebody else. Yeah, maybe some days we do some good things, but it never tips the scale in our favor. We can only experience new life and grace and justification by accepting Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never done that before, you've never really come to a place of just saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to be justified by you. Here's what I'm going to do today. Instead of you responding right now, I want you to ask to come down afterwards and find me or one of the people up front here who'll be praying with you and just tell them, I need to do that today. I, I, I need God to justify me and, and we'll pray with you and we'll, we'll, we'll pray with you as God invites you in and accepts you today as one of his sons and daughters, not because of anything you've done, but freely because of what Jesus has done. And then you get to go and in turn become doers of justice, not because you can, but because God will empower you to do it by his Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for just these reminders today, so simple but so tough sometimes, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly. God, may we do that for our city, that it may prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, get in a mini church. We're starting a new series next Sunday.